Cardano Foundation Chief Executive Officer Fred Griegaard discusses recent milestones and dives deep into the Foundation's current strategy moving forward in an exclusive interview you'll only see first on your Cardano update. Happy Tuesday to most of you out there, and good morning to the rest of you. I'm James Kiever with United States of Cardano State Pool. Our ticker is USA01, and we're all about serving the Cardano community. Whether that's through organizing meetups, producing this newscast, or personally working with you one-on-one -on -one to set up staking, we're happy to help and hope you consider our stake pool for your delegation needs. Another way to support this channel is to hit that thumbs up icon and make sure you're subscribed to our channel. We're very excited to announce that we're on the cusp of monetizing our YouTube channel and about to welcome our 2,000th subscriber. From all of us at the Stake Pool and the newscast, thank you so very much for your support. All right, the executive team at the Cardano Foundation haven't been at the helm very long, but that's not stopped them from hitting the ground running. In the few short months since CEO Fred Griegaard and Chief of Growth Ava Oberholzer started, Cardano has experienced several huge milestones, making now, without question, more important than ever. So what's the foundation's strategy moving forward? Calling from Switzerland, Chief Executive Officer of the Cardano Foundation, Frederick Gard. Fred, last we spoke was in December, really just a few short months ago, but so much has happened. Coinbase, the ScanTrust supply chain traceability solution, native assets, non-fungible tokens. It's been an amazing few months. Yeah, it, it certainly has. And don't forget, we also reached half a billion dollars in on-chain value staked to mission-driven pools, which I really think is a huge achievement for our entire community and shows what a circular economy can look like on a blockchain. It's really a new way of creating value for people and communities in need and really to also build that supply chain into some of those charities and deal with some of the trust equation there. So not only getting liquidity to the charities, but also enabling charities to kind of look the other way and showing you know trust in the trust equation. Yeah, it's really amazing how that uh, has gone down. Now Cardano's Coinbase integration was also huge news. And for so long, no one from any arm of Cardano could really talk about anything Coinbase related. I know because I asked many times. I'm curious, now that ADA is on Coinbase, can you talk about what the process of getting ADA on Coinbase was like? Yeah, I mean, well, I can talk a little bit about it. I have to say it was, you know, obviously it was a huge uh, team. It was a team effort, right? And it was a highly anticipated event. And it came also an exciting time. Uh, with almost a simultaneous release of native assets and our impending smart contract capabilities, right? But in, in essence, you can think about it like this, that the process was quite similar to, uh, to large exchange integrations, which are complex and highly technical. But we are very well supported with Mel and his team, which does our exchange and integrations, uh, to basically facilitate and manage the entire process. So really a big thank you to them. And then you can kind of, you can cut it over maybe in two, Right, we have our our lovely DEXs and very um, you know blockchain-based exchanges, which is I wouldn't say avoiding regulation, but really kind of dodging the bullets in many places, right? And uh, obviously, working with them is, um, is 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 one thing. And then we have uh, the Coinbase's and and a lot of other demo, which is actually very regulated players. And for them, it's extremely important that everything is done 
you know, up to the top bar. And the top bar, as we're looking at it, could, you know, is typically like a normal stock exchange. So they're treating it very much within investor protection and, you know, front running. And there's a lot of things which need to kind of, you know, fall into place. So it's not just about, you know, a new asset class. It's also about what is the governance structure behind that asset class? How does it look like? How is liquidity formed? You know, do we need market making? You know, what about the, the tricky regulatory questions of who's minting the tokens? Who is having control of that? So, you know, the more regulated you become, the more you need to actually be able to answer those questions, but also the more you need to be able to take the, the scrutiny and also accept that, you know, there has to be some secrecy around that so nobody can do front running or anything else related to that. Yeah, and, and you know, this brings up a, a, an interesting point. As Cardano is listed on more and more exchanges and as we see adoption happening, I'm pretty concerned about the tax implications of proof-of-stake related yields and asset management in the context of pool operations. I mean, it's a huge issue and one that's going to be treated differently depending on the country where the stake pool operator is cashing in their crypto. I mean, not necessarily even where the server is operating. It's a complicated problem, <laughs> at least in the U.S. Guidance is backwards and unclear. Does Cardano Foundation, does the Cardano Foundation see this as a problem that needs to be addressed? Yes, actually we do. So uh, we think a lot about that the Cardano Foundation should really be pushing, you know, predictability, resilience and reliability of public blockchains for enterprise use, but also for non-enterprise use in terms of DAOs or private individuals. In many aspects, when you are running a, a proof of stake, um, you know, algorithm and you have a you know, a stake pool operator, whether you are incorporated or you're not incorporated, you are actually doing a service. And that service has some taxable events depending on where you're sitting. So uh, it's, it's a very nascent field in terms of tax liabilities, but we are very much committed to advancing the recognition of staking rewards for clear tax purposes by national level regulators. And part of this involves giving our experts insight into advisory groups, such as the Proof of Stake Alliance, POSA, who actually have taken the issue to the highest levels of the U.S. Congress. But another part is also about, you know, just mapping it out from a technical perspective. And all of the countries are different. So maybe the, the right place of looking at it is that we need to go one step back. So when you look at a DEX, for instance, a DEX basically gives the ability to kind of form a marketplace where the counterparties not necessarily... Uh, you know, have any due diligence about each other, right? It's basically limiting or, or mitigating some of the risk. When you have a much more um, regulated exchange, such as Coinbase, there comes more regulated hurdles around that because they have much more audit oversight, there's much more business models, there's much more institutions, there's much more distribution, there's more eyes on it. And then when you take that into the next level, which is the banks, so the fully regulated banks, basically some of the liability starts changing away from the person who actually is doing something to the bank. And the bank starts taking over a part of that liability in certain jurisdictions. So how we look at it is that, you know, when we have something as a Swiss foundation, which is an incorporated entity and is a, is a legal entity, why do you want to have that in a decentralized ecosystem? And the reason why you want to have something like that is because we can actually face off with the regulator and we can face off with institutions and watchdogs and oversight authorities. And for many, there can also be a phone number to call. However, we cannot be the tax guidance for everybody out there. And we can also not be the, the law firm for the people. But what we can do is we can ensure that, 
It's actually that the regulators or the authorities or the tax experts understand and have sufficient material to basically do the job and actually figuring out what that means. And I also think we should use some of our resources to do that in key jurisdictions. So we know, for instance, the US is the last jurisdiction, and we need to bring some clarity into the US around what does it mean to do a proof of stake um, you know, algorithm or have a, have a stake pool. You know, what is the taxable events? Are you liable towards asset management? Are you doing asset management? So there's some really like regulatory hurdles, uh, which when you start coming into blockchain, you're like, yeah, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just trading a little bit. I'm getting exposure. I'm doing a dab. And then it's okay. But if you start building a business on it and you start actually having, you know, hundreds of people staking to you, then it's suddenly becoming a liability for you as a person. Uh, for you as a company, if you have a limited liability uh, company, or for you as a loose organization of friends who comes together and builds something on a blockchain. And that's one of the main purposes of the foundation, actually, to, to ensure that we are front-running that. So we as a foundation, we are doing staking, as you know, and we are talking directly with the Swiss tax authorities, and we are widening it down so we can also share it, uh, so we can share our legal opinions, and we can share our you know bloody noses, because we know that you know, it will be taxable in some extent. And as a legal entity, as a foundation, I cannot hide. So instead of hiding, we just take it front up and then we try and distribute some of that knowledge. Another consequence is that I think we need to work together with other proof of stake uh, protocols, such as Algorand or, you know, Tessas or, or whoever is out there, right? Because in the end, we are so small, but all of us has some commonalities around the technology stack from a regulated or from a tax perspective. So maybe it makes sense that, you know, that that Cardano does the US and Japan and a couple of other countries, and then Tesla does Switzerland and Germany, or I don't know exactly how we're going to split that, but I think it will be much more natural in the future that we come together in, in POSA or even in direct alliances towards solving that. It's for the good of the whole community that everybody actually feel that they can, you know, do these things. I sure am glad that's on your radar. Uh, curious though, what other work is going on with governments to promote Cardano adoption? <laughs> yeah, well, first and foremost, we should probably talk about how long and complex these timelines are uh, for government recognition of any new emerging technology, especially those who border on or cross over the financial products such as blockchain. Well, we constantly liaise with governmental officials, including those in Western European nations, to ensure that Cardano and blockchains as a whole uh, is adequate represented on a nation-level regulation and governance decisions. And we work with the BC4, uh, EU, Inapta, Sanba, and a lot of those organizations. Now, I have a little bit of a mixed feeling about this because I, don't, I just don't think that if we just spent all of our time sitting in working groups and discussing you know, how the future regulation should be, I'm not sure that we will be able to create the impact we need right now. So uh, we do... If we can, we actually try to avoid the, the working groups and we try to, uh, you know, engage directly with the members of parliament or the, way, the members of government to basically answer their questions. So it nearly feels a little bit like a hotline concept where, where certain members of parliament and certain countries, whether that is from Asia or, um, or from the US or from Western Europe, that we actually, you know, have more and more of those. They call us and they want to have a discussion with us around if the regulation is going to go in this direction, 
what does that mean in terms of innovation? What does that mean in terms of you know, economic growth? What does that mean in terms of economic identity? When are we going so far that we are safeguarding uh, you know, from the so-called, I call it a little bit the dark blockchains, uh, but by that we are killing the innovation who can come from the you know, more public blockchains, which actually is uh, very open and transparent about what we do. So, uh, so we do quite a lot there, and then we, uh, in the future, I also would like to take a little bit more time to, there's these so-called hearings, um, both physical, where, where there's a parliamental hearing, but there's also these papers which is written out where the government actually is asking for help. And those are typical between 100, 200 questions, where they're basically asking everybody, what's your view, what's your opinion, and you can basically do a statement. Traditionally, it's like large law firms and you know, big four companies and stuff like that who is answering that because it's a part of their brand. But I think, you know, um, third generation blockchains are quite new. So we also answered quite a few of those. And we even had regulators coming to us, knocking on our door and say, hey, we noticed you did not answer. Would there be a way that we can get you to answer if we enhance the, t the deadline a bit because we want to actually know what you're doing and we see you as a, as a key player in the way you're set up? And that's the reason why they do that is because they also get you know, some feedback from their teams, which is looking at that we are a bit more enterprise grade than other blockchain projects. Yeah, it's awesome that uh, they're taking you seriously. Um, I mean, that, that, that's, that's actually really incredible news. But uh, it's curious to me because um, you know, you've said this term, Charles has said this term, Cardano Nation, right? And, and it really all has to do with governance. You're talking to governments, but also long-term vision. I'm curious your thoughts on governance and what needs to happen moving forward. Yeah, so uh, Cardano Nation for me is split into two different um, verticals and they kind of, they, they, they come together at a later stage. But currently what's actually happening is if you think about a really good blockchain, and we don't need to mention that today, right? But if you think about what makes a good blockchain, right, it is really the ability to kind of have or, or you know, to show value uh, and, and basically move value on chain. The second is some kind of identity. And identities can go all the way from, you know, like a, a private key or dip or something like that, all the way to an economic identity. Then there is the metadata, which is the story of the transactions. And then there is the contractual um, um, yeah, definition or snippet, you know, the contractual part of the transaction. So those, uh, you know, those four things, they are being wrapped in a layer of governance on the blockchain. And the layer of governance is super important. And what we see in DeFi at the moment is for me, on one hand, very exciting, but for the other hand, um, you know, I'm nearly start crying, right? Because people are buying governance tokens, not because they want to do a meaningful participation in the project. They're buying it because they think it goes up because it has scarcity. And most of the time it has scarcity and it does go up and they sell it. And, you know, it, it doesn't really do what it's supposed to do. So for me, you know, this Cardano Nation has an element of what's happening on Catalyst. So on Catalyst, we are really playing around with different voting mechanisms and how, what does meaningful participation look like? How fast can we give away the reins for Cardano to the, to the community? And we don't exactly know how that's going to look at in the end, but we do know that if you do governance in a different way, you will give different voting results. If you get different voting results, you will have different leaders. 
If you have different leaders, you will have different decisions. And in the end, you will have a very different leadership structure coming out of it. So we, we truly believe that there is some work. We kind of have to go back to the, you know, the old Greeks and actually you know, rediscover what a democracy really means and what can democracy look like on chain. And the other side of that is the infrastructure. So we have these, you know, these new infrastructure components. So what would it mean in a nation state if you were thinking about developing world governance, you know, attempting to globalize and modernize the infrastructure and the laws? Could Cardano become the backend for entire nations? You know, not just like small emerging nations, but large nations. Could Cardano run elections, handle property registration, preserve integrity of records, national ID, payments, CBDCs, and so forth? I mean, the goal is probably closest to the Cardano vision of economic identity. But in many ways, if you think about freedom or liberty, right, uh, we always have you know, there's always like two forces. One is decentralization. When centralization works, it's very smooth, right? So, you know, there's, you know, one guy or one person or one cabinet says you go right and I decide everything and I can monitor everything down to the lowest level. And the other part is we want to give freedom for the individual to grow, but also to take control and be a sovereign entity to basically take their own decisions. And that's probably more where I lie. Oh, not probably. That is where I lie and where Cardano lies. And you see it's playing out in front of our eyes right now. Some of the, one of the world's largest countries has a very centralized way of looking at things and they monitor and control everything to the minus detail and they are leapfrogging ahead on certain emerging technology aspects. But is that really the model we want where there is kind of one person or one piece of code on the top who decides everything? So I think in many ways, there is a decentralized world out there where Cardano can become a part of the infrastructure that would upgrade the nation states as we see them today. And it will allow us to build governments without nations. So without, you know, like borders to actually work seamlessly on blockchain. And we will be able to put new measurements into that. So think about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals as a measuring step for the effectiveness of naturalization of Cardano. So if you go through the 17 sustainable development goals, you can actually, nearly every one of them, you can point at our infrastructure and you can say, there, Cardano makes sense. And I think that that's, that's, that's quite beautiful. So, so I really look at it from two lenses. One is rediscovering democracy with a much stronger technology augmentation. And the other one is how do we upgrade the existing nation states and the existing governments by giving them you know, a unique, um, infrastructure who's going to help them to bring their people together and bring trust back into it to take real decisions to make economic and sustainable social progress going forward. It sounds absolutely incredible, Fred. I mean, uh, my mind is blown. Honestly, I'd just be happy if Cardano could take care of our elections. Now, you've mentioned several times the goal of Cardano having one billion users. What do you think is the biggest hurdle standing in the way of that goal? Well, I think, first of all, we need to probably think about, uh, you know, what does this users mean? What is a user of the Cardano protocol? And I, I think, I mean, you know, I'm, an, <laughs> I'm maybe not a born banker, but I'm very much coming from the banking area. And uh, I know a lot of people, they hate bankers. And I, I, I do understand that, right? 
But when I talk to uh, to central banks, uh, which I do quite a lot at the moment, and big banks, I ask them one question, which probably is a question we need to ask ourselves also today. The future bank, so if we look into banking in 20 and 30 years, will the future bank be populated mainly by humans or by robots? And when I say populated, it's the users. So when you think about like a Bank of America, Merrill Lynch today, do we believe that there will be more account holders who is human in the future or more who is digital, like robots or dApps or smart contracts or your fridge might have an account or your self-driving car? And the reality is probably that we're going to have much more robots doing banking in the future than people. And then we can then argue if they don't have a real identity, you know, are they then really a user and so on. But I think we shouldn't really care about that because if they can move um, value, if they can do transactions, if they have some kind of identity on the ladder I just uh, was mentioning before, right? Um, and there is a contractual relationship between that and there is a governance layer around that. Well, then technically speaking, they're in the banking realm, right? They're mm -hmm. within the institutions of today. So I think naturally we need to attract these users and retain them with the Cardano ecosystem, which is going to be hard uh, because one billion is quite a lot uh, and, and, and we are an infrastructure. We are not a you know, we're not a front-end tool, right? We're we're sitting in the back, and this is why I think a huge part of our focus is on building relationships with national governments, especially in, in uh, emerging economies, where Cardano's technology can be used to build and maintain financial and social operating system for millions of people, endorsed and supported by regulators and government agencies, and this is where uh, sometimes. Um, I end up in some deep discussions because in many ways we are talking about, you know, blockchain should allow us to run, you know, countries without governments. And I'm just probably a little bit more the realistic guy. I'm saying, you know, how development is going right now. I'll be super happy if we can upgrade the infrastructure in the governments that they can achieve more, they can work for the people, that we can actually get real progress and we can start solving some big problems. And by doing that, I think we will get a lot more people users but also robot users, so process users into Cardano. And on the flip side of that, that's going to be a lot of, you know, community driven, um, you know, let's build a mini state or let's build an ecosystem outside of the governments. And I think that's, that's only positive. We need to test, test what's possible and how, how far we can get to the edges of society, right? But uh, I think for the Cardano Foundation, which is incorporated, we should really be focusing on how do we de-risk um, enterprises and governments from building on third-generation blockchain infrastructure such as Cardano? And uh, that's a part of, let's say, our role to ensure that we will get, you know, you know, a billion users in the future, right? Uh, but in the end, it's not going to come only by the foundation's work. We're just going to play a part of that. We're going to augment, initiate, maybe pave a part of that, but our community and the first enterprises who's building, which is, as you know, already a building, but also the first government who's already approaching us now and, uh, and like what they see in the engine room, uh, they're going to pave the way forward. So it's not, going to be an, it's not going to be like a nice convex curve. It's more likely going to be like a very, uh, you know, like an L shape where you have multiple Ls. As you see, you know, somebody comes with a large adoption and then they see that works and then you, you kind of get bigger and bigger. Uh, it's exciting. So exciting. You know, I'm seeing a lot these days, a lot of haters, especially from other blockchains, 
saying, you know, what can Cardano really do? They don't even have smart contracts live. Now, I've heard you answer this question a couple times in the last week, and I love your response, and I wonder if you can share how you answer those haters. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm hiding under a rock, or maybe I'm not active enough on, on Twitter, so I don't really get a lot of haters. I get more like... Uh... Uh, skepticism, right? So I was just on the phone with a sovereign wealth fund the other uh, week, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, blockchain is nothing for us." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's funny. Why are you calling me, right?" Um, but anyway, um, when we're thinking about this, the way I normally tend to answer this is that Cardano has done something really unique, and I'm not saying it's better or worse than other blockchain. I'm just saying it's very unique, and that is that we have separated the computational layer with, from the accounting layer. And that is a very interesting concept if you're going for enterprise adoption or any regulated adoption. Let's be frank here, right? Most of the people who makes a full-time living on a blockchain, most nation states will look at them as enterprises even though they did not incorporate. So they will put them under the same kind of regulatory framework in terms of income tax or regulation on, on, on events and compliance and you know all sorts of other uh, things, right? And, and what I'm trying to say to them is really like, you know, um, having the computational layer on the side ensures that you can do magical things, which you cannot do when you get a clustered main chain. Uh, but having the exact transactions where you really want to have the trust, including how the identity plays in and, and a big chunk of the metadata, you can do magic. So when I'm coming from the, let's say, the banking and supply chain world, what I'm always saying is the trick for doing integrations and really kind of, you know, create value in a banking ecosystem or an insurance ecosystem is your ability to, to map, store, and transact in metadata. So a normal security has probably about 150 to 180 metadata fields. Most blockchains out there, they can rarely do more than a sentence. And with Cardano, we can do so much. So... I really think that what we can do today is that we need to really start educating people about what is in the Cardano world a smart contract and what does the combination of native tokens with metadata and you know 100% scalable blockchain, what does that actually mean and what does that look like? And I think one of these supply chain solutions we just brought live with, um, with ScanTrust is really kind of showing that. And there's coming another couple of those, um, you know, in, in the months to come in, in a different industries where you really can see that people, uh, companies have seen how much the value is of these, you know, um, metadata combined with native tokens combined with, um, with a very solid uh, layer zero infrastructure as we have. So then on the flip side, we can speak about what's coming just around the corner, like Malawi and Yeli and KVM and the ability we have basically to transport things into Cardano and out of Cardano, which basically is going to make it probably, you know, like the, you know, the, the, the internet of blockchains really, right? Um, so the Cardano protocol. So, um, yeah, no, so I think there's a, quite a few things there. And I'm, to be honest, I think native tokens enable a lot more than what people think um, from capturing business value. And that's also why one of the main things we start looking at in the foundation is how can we increase the average transaction um, on chain in ADA? Because if you look at the, the transaction, what does it cost to do a transaction? You will actually figure out that if you do a 1,000 or you do 10,000, it's nearly the same transaction value, right? So, uh, so the, the cost for that transaction is the same. 
But if you start adding a native token or you start adding some metadata fields into that, or you might even start adding a connector who goes to a like the Cardano registry or another uh, database, you see that the cost goes up. So we think a lot about how much business value can be captured on chain. And let's be honest about that. Right now, it's not been a lot. But this is the parameter you need to look at. But we also have to look at, we've only been live for a few months. And if you've seen the growth of tokens, and also there's a, new, a couple of NFT tokens out there, I mean, it's, uh, we are growing with unprecedented speed, even for the blockchain space, compared to what's actually live. And we need to be better in the foundation to kind of help people to tell them what works right now with the tech stack as is, what should you start preparing for, for the tech stack for tomorrow, and how should you ensure that your infrastructure will work for the tech stack in six and 12 months, because that's really magical. Frederick Griegaard, CEO of the Cardano Foundation. Fred, it is an honor to have you on the show. Your team is doing incredible work and it won't be long until I have more questions for you. Thank you very much. It's been really a pleasure to be here again. And uh, yeah, as usual, uh, I'm just having fun talking to you. So let's do this some more. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our newscast for you today. Please like and subscribe if you haven't already and consider delegating with United Stakes of Cardano Stake Pool, ticker USA01. If you need to reach us about this story we've done or maybe you have a story idea you'd like to see, either way, leave a comment below or reach out to us on one of these channels. If you'd like to see the last time Fred called into the show, simply click right here to see that episode. Thanks again for watching everyone. I'm James Kiever and that's your Cardano Update.